Generation Church, based in the beautiful Rex Theater in the heart of downtown Pensacola, Florida. Our hope is that today's teaching will encourage and equip you to be firm in faith, to fulfill the call of God in your life, and to finish well. Grab your Bible, open up your notes app, and let's dive in. Open your hearts as I read 1 John 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the message that we have heard from him and now proclaim to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Good morning, everyone. If you notice, I walked up a little slow. A few weeks ago, I was actually wondering if I would be able to, <clears throat> to do this, and praise God, I'm able to walk around. I had knee surgery, and so I'm in the process of healing. So, if you'll bear with me, um, I really believe God wants to talk to us this morning and speak to us. Don't you love God's Word? You know, God's Word says in 2 Timothy 3.16, yeah, it says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's profitable, right, for reproof and for correction and instruction in righteousness. That what? That the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. We have God's word to guide our life. And um, that's, what, that's what gathering together and, and it's all about, that we encourage each other in, in God's word. So I'm really excited to be able to open up this, uh, this series uh, of First John. And I pray that you will uh, glean this morning from that. Let's, let's go to the Lord in prayer. I do a lot of studying and I uh, do, a, uh, you know, have notes and things, but I just really want the Holy Spirit to speak to you. And that can't be by my words, it has to be by the Holy Spirit. So let's just, let's just uh, I acknowledge that. Now, Father, we, we love you. Lord, in, uh, Father, you are everything. Lord, it says in, in you we live. <laughs> And in you we breathe, Lord, and we have our being. So, Father, you are our everything. You're our breath. Forgive us, Lord, when we forget that. And we just ask that our lives would be a reflection of you, of your glory. For it's in your name we pray, amen. Amen. So, as I said, um, as I said, this is the first message of a uh, five-part series that we're doing. And we've, we've entitled it, Are You Sure?, there's a lot to uh, to the book of First John. John is First John is actually a very tiny book. It only has five chapters, thus our five weeks. 
and, and then, of course, there's Second John and Third John with only one chapter each. Uh, we won't be getting into those, but it'd probably be good to read those um, as well. I would encourage you during this season to, uh, to read First uh, John and first and second and third uh just just read it and get it in your hearts first john needs uh even though it's uh, as i said a very small book i want to spend some time on introducing it because it's actually really important to understand what was going on in the first century you know when you understand what's going on it makes a lot more sense when writers wrote what they wrote why did they write the letter and so that's all throughout scripture as I said, it's, it's uh, written by John. Now, John is uh, one of the youngest of, was the youngest of Jesus' apostles. When, when John was walking with Jesus, he was probably in his late teens, uh, early 20s. And John, now he's pretty old when he's writing this. He's about 80 years old. This is about 60 years after Jesus died and rose from the dead. So it's about 90 AD. And John is the last surviving apostle. If you'll remember, he was exiled to the island of Patmos. History tells us that he was actually boiled in oil, and he survived it. It was to be a martyr, right? And, but he survived it, and God had other plans for him. And uh, during that time on the island of Patmos, we know that he wrote, was where we get the book of Revelation. And so, wow, how awesome it is that uh, that we actually have a picture of the end times, and it came through his pain, and God revealing that through him. Now, at this time, uh, John is living in Ephesus. Ephesus is not too far from like where Patmos is. You can get on a boat and get there in 45 minutes, uh, an hour, and, and get on the island of Patmos. So he's in the thriving city of Ephesus. The early writers, uh, they they have stories about how they'd carry John as an old man from church to church. And it's really interesting because when they would bring him up and he would be addressing the church, he would just say three words. He would say, love one another. And then they would just have him sit down. I say, that, that was his message. And if you think about it, it's really quite a change from his from his younger days, Mark 3 tells us that Jesus actually gave John and his brother, uh, James, John and James were given the name, the Sons of Thunder. They were pretty radical. They were, they were fiercely loyal. And there was a time when Jesus wanted to enter a city, but they refused to let him come. And James and John are like, let's burn it up. Let fire come from heaven and burn them up because they won't accept you. Now, they put him in front of people and he's like, love one another. A lot of change has gone on in John's life. You know, he's, he spent time with Jesus and his life's been transformed. And now he's an older man and, you know, you begin to, to look at life. And, you know, uh, you know, John is also the one in the Gospel of John, you know, he says that, he was the one that Jesus loved. And I asked, always used to think it was really a thing of pride, you know, like, oh, so like he doesn't love the rest of them? What about, you know, Peter and all the others, right? I think John realized who he was and that Jesus really loved him in spite of who he was. Um, kind of reminds me of that scripture of, of 
to those that have done a lot, much will, uh, much grace will be given, right? I forget how, exactly how that scripture goes, but um, you know, when you've been forgiven a lot, you love a lot. You've been forgiven a lot, you love a lot. So I think John's saying, in spite of me, he loved me. That's what I think. Um, the name John actually only appears in the title of this little letter. Nowhere does he identify himself, but as a writer, there's as evidence. You can see it in style, substance, and in sources. In style, there's actually 10 identical phrases in, in uh, 1 John as there is in uh, the Gospel of John. So uh, there's that simulation. In substance, John actually says in this letter that he was an eyewitness. So we know that he walked with Jesus. And uh, the sources of the early church as well attribute 1 John to John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John to John. Uh, Arrhenius, Origen, Tertullian, who came about maybe 100 years later, and he was a, a writer of the, of the Gospels wanting to record history. And uh, there's a lot of interesting things that, that he says. He's actually fighting the same thing that I'm going to explain. There's this sect that's coming up. And Tertullian, he was actually fighting this, this same cult. So it had been quite some time. I think it morphed a little bit into other things, but um, he, he uh, had some things to say on that. Uh, he's actually called the, the, the father of Latin Christianity. Interesting little side note. He was the one that actually used the word Trinity. Not, not, not John, but Tertullian. He came up with the word Trinity. As you know, the word Trinity is not in the Bible, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, but we know it as that. So kind of cool that the church fathers all attribute it to, to John. Now, John actually spells out, I love it, when he spells out why he's writing. So we know very clearly why he's writing these letters. Um, it says in, in, in 1 John 1, 4, he says, and we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. One translation says full, that our joy may be full. What's interesting to me is how this confrontational letter really brings truth and joy. A lot of people would read this letter and they'd go, man, am I even saved? You know, like they would read this letter, but really what happens is, is this truth brings joy. Have you ever had a conversation with somebody and Maybe there was a lot of misunderstanding and, you know, maybe finally the truth was revealed or you got to really express your opinion as it related to the, to the truth that you believe or you were able to emphasize something. It just feels good. It feels good that truth reigned. Truth was, brings, that truth brings joy. So John's saying, listen, even in this book, I'm writing it so that you're going to have joy even though it might seem harsh. The second thing is to warn us, see, about habitual sin. Um, uh, chapter 2, verse 1 says, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. So that's very clear why he's writing that. And again, it doesn't mean that Christians don't sin at all. It's just that we mature and we hopefully sin less. Sinless, you know, we sin less often. Third thing is to refute false teachers. 
As I said, there's a sect that's coming up. I'm going to explain in a second. But he says this. He says, I write these things to, uh, to you about those who are trying to deceive you. A lot of people out there trying to deceive you. Give you their opinion that's contrary to the Word of God, right? Everybody has an opinion. Like, just go back to the Word of God. And so he's trying to refute that. And last, it's to assure us of our salvation. Awesome. Um, which, is, of course, is why we named the series, Are You Sure? And that comes in the last chapter of this book. It says, I write these things uh, to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Isn't that beautiful? You don't have to guess. And that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. So it's, a be, it's to be a letter of encouragement even though there's harshness. It's that we would be more self-confident in our walk with the Lord what he basically is doing is he's confronting sloppy Christian living. And it can seem harsh. So as I mentioned, there's a movement that is coming. No, it's not coming. It's there. And um, it's coming against the gospel. It's coming against the good news. So understanding this uh, actually gives a lot of greater impact to his words when you read what's going on. Now... Since John's lived at a ripe old age, he's seen a lot of things come and go. Isn't that interesting? The older you get, you see a lot of you. Seen that. Yeah, I've seen that. A lot of things come and go, both good and bad. And there's this dangerous heretical teaching. Now, at the time it didn't have a name. We now know it as Gnosticism. And it's a very big stronghold in the 2nd and the 3rd century. Remember, almost 100 years has passed. So all these stories begin to filter. And so... So John is coming against this movement. Now, Gnosticism is a Greek word, Gnesko, and it means knowledge. It basically said that knowledge was the way to salvation. It wasn't really who you know. It was about what you know. So if we accumulate knowledge, that's the key to salvation. The key evil behind it was the thinking that physical things are what's evil. The chair you're sitting in, it's evil. This cup, it's evil. My body, it's evil. Your body, it's just evil. The only thing that was really good was what was spiritual. And for that reasons... For though all those reasons, the Gnostics believed that Jesus, at least early Gnosticism, really believed that Jesus was really not physical. Big problem. Big problem with what we believe today. And John knows that this ain't true. Since everything is fleshly, and, uh, physical and fleshly, was evil, they dismissed the physical incarnation of Jesus God coming in the flesh. So Jesus was more of a phantom spirit. And of course, that's completely contrary to Scripture. John 1.14, John says later on here, right? The Word became flesh. This is in the Gospel of John. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. 
You see, you see what he's actually battling there as you're reading that gospel? No, 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 no. No, 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 no. The word became flesh, and it, it dwelled among us. Jesus took on flesh, and he wrapped himself in humanity. The flesh is not sinful. It's how we operate in the flesh that is sinful. So the fact that Jesus had a sinful body did not make him sinful. Hebrews 4 tells us that Jesus, it says, He was tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. They'd say, they, all these stories came up. Like They'd say that if you walked on the beach with Jesus and you looked back, you would have only seen your footprints. They'd say, you know, we heard that if you were eating with Jesus, he never really swallowed his food. He, he, was, all, he was a spirit. So here's kind of where they went wrong with their thinking. If everything physical doesn't matter, then you can do whatever you want physically. The physical doesn't count. It's only about the spirit. So, my behavior is not an indication of my Christianity. I can do whatever I want. We have the special knowledge. We have the inside track on truth. We can do whatever we want. Now, if you think that's a little bit outlandish, you know, history repeats itself. There's so many things going on in our world today. It's just cultish. It's just wrong. It's just not according to God's word. It's not true. We can be so easily deceived. God's word is true and it's faithful. I remember living, when we were living in Romania, I remember this family came to visit us, uh, the missionary family. They were Americans. And uh, they had like an RV and they drove up to our house and they had, I remember had a lot of kids and they had been part of this cult <clears throat> uh, from the West here. Um, and it was called <clears throat> Family International. Um, and they had an interesting belief. They actually took this scripture Thou shalt love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength, and you should love your neighbor as yourself. Well, all the laws summed up in just that. You should love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your soul, your mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So anything that you could do to bring that neighbor to Jesus was acceptable. If you were married, you felt like sleeping with someone else's wife or committing fornication or something, was going to bring them closer to Jesus? By golly, you can do it. It's a real, it was a real cult. It was even in Pensacola. It was all over. Thousands and thousands of people. It just, it just made it easy, right? It's interesting. I had a conversation with him. I said, so like, what did you do? Because he didn't believe this anymore, you know. He came to an understanding of truth. I mean, what, all the scriptures in the Bible, and he goes, that's what sin is. Sin's deceptive. He goes, that's how, you can, that's how you can be deceived because the devil, he's a liar and it's deceptive. So things happen and it's just, I could go more on it, you know, but it was just, a, it was a cult. Um, even though Gnosticism isn't necessarily an issue of today, Jesus being right, a phantom spirit, uh, 
So often we have sloppy Christian living where it doesn't really matter what you do. The spiritual discipline of a Christ-centered life is really about dying. It's about dying to yourself. It's about crucifying the flesh. It's not denying that the flesh exists as the Gnostics did. And this is the challenge for us as Christians. Anybody can say, I believe, but your belief needs to match your behavior. If it doesn't, then you're a hypocrite. It's not sincere. It's not a sincere faith. Look at 1 Timothy. The goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. That word sincere actually comes from two Latin words, sina, which means without, and cara, which means wax. It literally means without wax. Sincere. So in the first century, they'd make maybe a, a beautiful statue. They'd be chiseling it out. Every once in a while, the chisel would slip, or maybe they would hit a piece of stone that was not as strong, and off went the ear, right? Off went the nose, off went something. So they'd, they'd soften some wax, and they would uh, replace it, do a little bit of plastic surgery, and restore the mistake. And then they would sell it. And inevitably, you know, they took the idol or maybe whatever it was and put it in the window and the sun would come and beat on it and the wax would melt and then you now had a god or a goddess with no nose or something. Something fell off. Maybe it was a pot and they made the bottom out of wax just to sell it. And then when the, when the heat came, it, it would leak. So Sina Kara was when it was legit. It was no wax. It was sincere. And this is what we're to be as Christians. If you're going to put me in the heat of life, I'm not going to melt. It's sincere. It's a sincere faith. There's nothing fake. There's nothing hidden. It's authentic in our relationship with Christ. Our flesh always wants to dominate. It wants to rule and it's always going to be a constant battle. That, that battle's never going to go away. That's why we continually come back to, to Jesus, right? So we see John refuting this again, this phantom idea, in 2 John. It says, Many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world, and any such person is a deceiver. Now, what's interesting is let's Let's read 1 John, as Teresa just read for us. Let's read 1 John 1, 1 with that in mind. This is why John is saying, he goes, listen, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our own, with our own eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. He passionately and repetitively is disputing the concept of them saying that Jesus did not come in the flesh. Why? Because it is absolutely vital. It's crucial. Our salvation hinges on the fact the entire structure of redemption 
And forgiveness is centered on that fact that Jesus came as a human representative. He could only represent us if he was fully human, but he also had to be fully God, sinless, and a human could not do that. If he was only fully human, i.e. sinful, right? Then he would have had to pay for his own sins. He couldn't have also paid for the sins of the world. Jesus was the only one qualified to bear the sin of the world because he had no penalty against himself. He was the perfect lamb. Look at what he says to the church of Galatia in Galatians 4. He says, But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive the full rights of sons. Jesus was born of a woman and he was born under the law. And that's the same description of every single person in this room. Jesus was born under that same arrangement that he would be our Savior. In that verse, John is so powerful because he's trying to give his credentials. He's saying, I was there. All you heretic people, I, I sampled, I held him, I touched, I saw, I heard, I was an eyewitness. John's saying, are you kidding? The blood, I saw the footprints when we walked on the beach together. No, they were there. He ate the same, he ate all the time. I saw him do it. Second Peter 1.16 speaks of this and says, We did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. They were bending over backwards to make it clear that we did not make this thing up. We're not blowing smoke. We're not tickling your ears. It's true. He came in the flesh. John goes on to say in verse 2, it says, the life appeared. One translation says, the life manifested. And then it continues. Look at he does it again. We have seen it and testify to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. And then look, he repeats it again in verse 3. Do you think he wants you to know something? We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have, and you get, this is where it gets great, fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. He's writing so that we can all fellowship together in that knowledge. Have you ever noticed, maybe you've gone somewhere on a road trip or maybe the airport, you met another Christian, and it's like there was instant fellowship. Like, yeah, just kind of got them. You understood. You served the same master. Maybe you know how many years that they've been walking with the Lord, or maybe know a little, little bit about their life. You connect. There's a fellowship because it's based on the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's where fellowship happens. 
There's fellowship. You can talk about anything under the sun. But when there's someone who might not know the Lord, you can talk about anything under the sun, but fellowship can be difficult. It's a challenge. It's a challenge to often share the things of Christ because there's, there's, not, this, there's not this fellowship. There's not this koinonia, right? It says in verse 4, And we write this to make our joy complete. Isn't that interesting? So, in that knowledge and in that truth that Jesus came in the flesh and the fact that we can all fellowship together and iron sharpens iron, we can, we can, we can have joy. We can have joy in that fellowship. The heart of a true disciple is one that wants to bring someone else into that true fellowship, the fellowship of Christ. Verse 5 says, And this is the message we have heard from Him and declare to you, that God is light. Now he starts talking about light. God is light, and in Him there is no darkness at all. God is telling us through John about His essential character. And I'm sure that there's many implications about light. I could have a conversation with many people and all kind of intriguing points come up about light. Uh, there's five that I have here. It's in your notes. And again, remember, this light, this, light, this gloriousness is, breeds fellowship. It breeds joy. It tells us that He's glorious. God's glory is always connected with light. But not just light, bright light. When Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration with Peter and James and John, Jesus glowed. There was a glow. There was a brightness. It says here in Matthew 17, And his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. It's the concept of overwhelming light because that light can never be overwhelmed. The sun's light could never overwhelm it. The knowledge of God, there's no light that can overwhelm that glorious light of God. It's overwhelming. No knowledge, no view, no opinion, no lifestyle, no status, no light, no knowledge. Nothing is going to overtake that glorious light of God. And it even says here in 2 Corinthians, we are changed from glory to glory. From, from the light that we have to a greater light, to a greater light, all under the knowledge of the greatest light. The fact that God is light. And we, we become increasingly bright, greater and greater. We become more like Jesus. You know, it's interesting, the closer you get to Jesus, actually, I think the more it illuminates how you don't measure up, how I don't measure up, the sins that I have, the things that you see. There's a lot of fathers of old in church history that say when they were dying, you know, they just know that they're going to be with God any moment and they just start thinking about their life and they're just like, and you just from gosh, am I worthy, you know? Because the closer you get to God, the closer you allow His light and His word to shine in you, the more, the more intricately aware you are of the things in your life that you really want to be more Christ-like. Because it illuminates it. 
And that's not a thing of condemnation. It's a thing of beauty when God shines that light and we just say, man, I just want to be more like Jesus. If you remember Moses, when he spent time with God on Mount Sinai, he came down and it says his face was brilliantly shining. The Israelites were terrified. <laughs> they made him like wear a veil. And this is the glory that Jesus set aside on his earthly life. He had the glory. Can you imagine him walking around as that bright light? I mean, no one could even look at him. He put all that aside, all that glory, all that brightness to, to, to come and to be that sacrifice. The second thing is, is it tells us that uh, God being light uh, tells us, it shows us that he's self-revealing. Light is always seen, particularly in the darkness. It creeps into every corner. There's nothing about God that's secretive or hidden. He shines everywhere. And that's what we're to do. The Bible says, let your light shine before men. Right? That they may see your, your good deeds, right? <laughs> let, your, let your light shine. Right? It tells us, number three here, that he is holy. You know, sin and evil love the shadows. They love dark places. You know, roaches love dark places. And I think they're sinful. I think they're evil. No, like, like sin and evil love shadows. Light exposes those things. We're always going to struggle, newsflash, with dark places. But with God, there's no hint of darkness. So it's our job to allow ourselves to come before that light and say, God, you know, expose me so I can know you more and know you better. Number four, God being light, it tells us that he's our guide. I love this one. You know, when you're entering a dark room, what's the first thing you want to do? You want to find the light switch. You want to turn on the light. You want to see where you're going. When you drive at night, you turn on the headlights. There's this particular road in Alabama when I go to visit. We go to visit uh, my mother-in-law. She has a lake house in, in Alabama. And there's this long, long road to get to her place. And sometimes, I especially used to do it when the kids were small so I could scare them. But you turn the lights off and it is so dark. So what you do, you light, light reveals and you turn on your headlights and that's what God's light does. Psalms, it directs us. Psalms 119 says, direct me, O Lord, from David. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and it is a light unto my path. God, let your light guide my life. Let me not always depend on myself or my knowledge, but let your light shine on my next move, on my next step. And then it says, too, that light, that he's the great revealer. Bring light into a situation. It brings clarity. It brings the light, the right perspective. I don't know if you ever had an operation, but when you go into that surgery room, there's this big light, and you're glad it's there because you want them to see really good when they go to cut it, when they go cutting on you, right? You want them to know every single thing that's going on, you know, you want to be able to, want them to intricately know every stitch, every little, every little cut, and uh, that's what light does, is it reveals you know, if I get a sliver in my finger, which seems like every other day, I go out into the light. I'll take a little needle, and the first place I go is out into the light. Because I don't want to make a mistake when I'm digging around, right? Like, that's what light does. Uh, light shows us what's really there. 
I don't think we need to be afraid to allow God's light illuminate our life. You know, if we're afraid to do that, we're kidding ourselves. That really is the equivalent of hypocrisy because you're saying, I'm a Jesus follower. I want to follow him. I want him to light up my life, but I refuse to let him look. And there's more on on that, the the grace side of it. Remember I I said there's a kind of interesting in this book that Paul's, uh, John saying, I'm writing it so you have joy, but I'm hard. There's joy in truth. And this is what he's saying. You ever gone and picked out something in your closet or tried to and you thought it was blue, but it was brown? in the dim light of your closet? Or have you ever grabbed a shirt and you've gone outside and the dim light did not reveal the stain? And as soon as you get to church and you get out of the car, the bright light reveals the spaghetti you had the week before. Right? Light reveals. Light sheds light on, on that and, and, Jesus, and God is the great revealer. Uh, a couple of scriptures here, 1 Corinthians 4, 5. Paul says to the church in Corinth, Therefore judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait till the Lord comes. He will bring light to what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of men's hearts. At that time, each will receive his praise from God. Ephesians 5 says, But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, for it is light that makes everything visible. This is why it is said, Wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Verse 6 says, If we claim to have fellowship with Him, yet we walk in darkness, we lie uh, and do not live by the truth. You know, walking in darkness, I just want to say it doesn't mean making mistakes. That would perhaps be a lapse of judgment. Uh, and then we ask for forgiveness. It, walking in darkness, when you're walking in it, it's really about a perpetual lifestyle. It's refusing to allow God's light shine in your life. So you're living a lie and the truth's not in you. He goes on to say in verse 7, but if, see there's a conjunction there, right? We've got five ifs, by the way. But if we walk in the light as He's in the light, what does it do? We have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, purifies us from all sin. Walking in the light means the light of God's presence. Light is the key to fellowship. First we have fellowship with one another, and we're able to do it because God rules, not our emotions. I want you to think about that. When you're having fellowship and God rules, and His light is present and it's visible then there's real truth. And so when you're with, when you're meeting together under that uh, condition, love happens. 
Forgiveness happens. Patience happens, right? Kindness happens. That's why we can fellowship. Because there's truth, there's light. It brings us joy. There's fellowship. Why do we have fellowship? Because it's God's light. Bring in fellowship. That's how we fellowship. It all works together. And verse 7 continues, it says, And the blood of Jesus, His Son, it purifies us from all sin. Walking in the light, it, it allows us. It compels us. It invites us. And it gives us the assurance to, res- to repent and to accept the work of the cross. That's what walking in the light does. Walking in that way, but without shame and without guilt. Not the hopelessness of the chains and the sin, the bondage of sin. And also notice that it's progressive. It keeps on cleansing. That's why we continually come back. Verse 8, as we got two more verses here. It's a big one. Another conjunction. If. If we claim to be without sin, or that sin's not a big deal, or I'm perpetually accepting that sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. You know, you can actually convince yourself you're doing okay. And some people can't even see it because the light isn't even on. And that's why the Holy Spirit takes the Holy Spirit to... You know, the Holy Spirit lives in you, right? The Holy Spirit, when you accept Christ into your life, the Holy Spirit comes in. You're new. You're a new creation. Maybe it's about time you ask the Holy Spirit to illuminate your eyes to things that maybe you don't see as a big deal, but you just want to be more like Christ. And even though it's a very small course correction, in the light of the rest of your life, it's going to be this big. See, it's only this big right now. It's a small course correction. God's shining light on it. But if I allow myself to allow this in my life, farther and farther away, that's what happens, right? That's what happens when we allow that sin. (laughs) Thank God for verse 9. If... If we confess our sins, He is faithful and He is just and He potentially might. No. He will forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Three words there. Point out real quick. One of the most powerful verses in the Bible that He's faithful. It means that when you come to Him, He's not going to change his mind. It's not, sorry, I've had it. It potentially might be, now I, you know, only God knows your heart, right? You know, there really does come a time in your life when you cross a line in the sand and you go, no, God, I'm sorry. This really is the course correction. So, well, I've, I've asked God to forgive me like for 25 years just seems to be there. Don't give up. (laughs) Lord, I bring it to you. It's a journey. God, I continually bring it to you. 
I will not accept not letting your light shine in my life so I am more like you. I am not at the end of my life going to have this course correction that's this big. I refuse it. Not going to happen. God, I come to you again. Listen, he's faithful. And it says he's faithful. And um, it means he's never going to be rescinded. That offer is not a rescinding. He's just. Just comes from the word justice. And it's a legal term, which means in keeping within the law. So if you're speeding and you have a $150 fine, justice demands $150. Our punishment for sin was death. And the Bible says that the wages of your sin is death. The point is that, um, that God cannot overlook sin. We can, but God can't overlook sin. I can turn a blind eye to sin, but God can't. God had to punish sin. He couldn't sweep it under the carpet. He couldn't ignore it. He couldn't slap you on the wrist. And He could not give you 15 minutes of time out. It was death. And He had to come in human form and be that propitiation for your sins, pay for that price for us to receive life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him will not perish but have life. It was about life. You were dead without hope and He gave you life. I think every morning when you wake up and be thankful that you do wake up because time is limited, you say, God, thank you for life. Thank you that, you, that I can have hope today in you because you gave me life. I'm not living hopelessly. And I want that to be known. And then the word is all. Uh, you know, to a lot of people that are coming into Christ, or maybe have not yet come into Christ, and to those that are in Christ, they stumble over this. He's faithful, and He's just, and He will purify you from all of your sins. So... The worst crimes of humanity can and will be forgiven. Exactly. Absolutely. He didn't deserve it. I don't know. What if Hitler had repented and six million Jews or said, We forgive you? I mean, do you see the beauty of forgiveness? Do you see the power of God being able to transform a life when there's true repentance? We're so easy to judge and make that sin more worse than this sin. Sin is sin. What is God illuminating in your life? What is God illuminating in your heart that you have to deal with? That's the question because you will never answer for anyone else. Ever. You will only answer for you. It's about stewardship. We just had a series on stewardship. Stewardship's right? Your, your talents, your, your time, 
your, your money, like everything. Got, like it's, it's all yours, and that's what I'm going to be judged on, what I did with it. What did I do with the talent that I had that God used? Where, where was I not willing to step out and have more faith? You know, that bugs me. A lot of times I think of certain periods of my life. And you know what I think sometimes? I wish, man, I wish I would have had more faith. I think that potentially this would have gone a totally different direction if I would have had more faith. Now, the beautiful thing about God is He redeems. All things work together for good to those who love God and are called into His purpose. So then God takes that time of your life when you really should have had more faith and he makes it beautiful, maybe bigger. So that thought's not really a good thought. He can take it and make it bigger through your mistake. Isn't that amazing? Course correction, I want that in my life. And then, so all means all. That's the good news. In verse 10, another if. Another conjunction as we close worship can come up, but please stay attentive. Um, don't, don't be bothered by the team coming up. I know I'm a little long-winded, but we're done here. Uh, another conjunction. If we claim that we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word has no place in our lives. We've all sinned. And I don't want to be that liar. So that's 1 John 1. He's battling this heretical teaching. No, no. Jesus came in the flesh and he paid the sacrifice for my sin. He was the perfect lamb. I touched him. I felt him. I saw him bleed. He even told me to look after his mom. No. Love one another. It helps you in this world, doesn't it? When, when the world is harsh and hard and we're all working through so many things, you know, it's like, God, I really said that or think that or thought that. Like, it's a journey. So, so this word, this chapter convicts me, you know, I'll be honest, it deeply deeply convicts me because I want God's light to shine in all areas of my life and not be fearful about the future, about what he has for me. Don't walk in fear. Listen, you know what the devil really wants to do? I didn't end this way on the last um, service, but don't walk in fear in your life. I think fear keeps a lot of people from really stepping out and doing things. Fear. Um, but when you do, you're going to see that God's faithful and He's there. Why? Because He called you. Would God ask you to do something and then not give you the tools to do it? No. He's, he's faithful. And He's going to help you along the track. So God really does honestly have a call on your life. That's why we say here, you know, I tell people at um, Growth Track, the first one, which is actually today, you know, the, uh, the uh, purpose statement of Generation Church is to be firm in faith. 
So when you walk through that door, I want for you what I want for my own life, to be firm in faith or firm in the faith, right? Listen, it's the only thing that's going to bring you through this life, right? It's the only thing, it's, it's the only thing that brings you this life. I mean, I love music. I love communication skills or the lack of. But it's God's word that's only going to change your life. And then what is it? To fulfill your call. So I want you to be firm in faith. I want you to fulfill the call of God in your life, which is this whole thing of fear. Fulfill your call and then, my goodness, finish well. Like whatever you're doing right now, finish it well. If it's your job, if it's in school, if it's your whole life. The older I get, I don't consider myself that old. I'm 62. The older I get, the more I realize that people lose it later in their life. Now, when you're young, you can be full of zeal. You got the energy. You didn't have to have the knee surgery. The world's at your fingertips. No, finish well. Finish your life well. Let's take that little deviation and make it parallel to Christ. Straight up to Jesus. Lord, I, that's what I want. No, no, no variation. Yeah, so that's a whole other sermon. Amen. Let's worship. Thanks for hanging out with us at Generation. You can connect with us on Facebook or Instagram at Generation Pensacola or go to the website at generationpensacola.com and from wherever you download your podcasts. If today's teaching impacted you, we'd love to hear about it. So please drop us a note.